Heavenly Father, it is such a pleasure to come into your presence this morning and to spend time praising you in song and to pray to you and then to hear from your word. Lord, we pray that this may indeed be a pleasurable time for us as we as children come before our Father and hear him speak. Lord, we pray that you may use me this morning to explain your word clearly and may it be an encouragement for us as we seek to live like your Son, Jesus Christ. And we pray this in his name. Amen. Well, have you ever taken somebody else's name? Have you ever had somebody else's name put upon you or taken it on legally? I know that lots of women generally will do this, although some women seem to have more and more of a problem of doing this. When they get married, they generally will take on the name of the husband, the surname of the husband. But it seems more and more that some women think that this is some sort of shackling, some sort of uh, indication of slavery through marriage, and so they buck that trend and keep their name or hyphenate the name and uh, take both names. They have their uh, maiden name plus their, the surname of their spouse, uh, put upon them as well. Uh, Jill, I think, quite likes uh, the, the surname that she has taken on. She has uh, agreed to be a Radford and she has left her old name of Hackett behind uh, with uh, some of those things that, of course, come with having some names. You get a bit of ridicule. She used to get in school, uh, can you hack it all the time? And I then, of course, said that to her when I was uh, new to her and she said, ha ha, very funny, haven't heard that before. And so since then I've never said that uh, to her I knew that it was an old joke. But with Radford, she, of course, doesn't have that kind of association. There's very few things, ways that you can ridicule someone with the name Radford. Have you ever taken on someone else's name? And have you actually taken on the name of God? Because that's what we're going to look at this morning is looking at taking on God's name and how that brings suffering. We've been looking at the subject of suffering in 1 Peter chapter 4. The whole book of 1 Peter is uh, a lot about suffering. But we've come to a particular section from, from verse 12 of 1 Peter chapter 4 and we've been slowly working through it and looking at the subject of suffering. And this morning we've reached verse 14 and how we suffer for Christ's name. But before we look at whether we can suffer for Christ's name, we firstly need to look at whether we can have Christ's name. And so this morning, that's what I want to look at firstly. Can the name of Christ be taken? And that's my first main point, is the answer to that question. The name of Christ can indeed be taken. If you want to see my main points, you can see them on the back of the church bulletin and follow along. The name of Christ can indeed be taken. When you become a Christian you are adopted into God's family and take Christ's name. And that's what he's getting at in verse 14 when he says, if you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. When you become a Christian, you take on the name of Christ. So just like you can be born into a family and take on the name, so it is with Christians, we can be born again into the family of God. And then another way of speaking about it is that we are adopted into the family of God. Just as we have legal provisions in our country, if you want to take on somebody's name as an adopted child into that family, you take on that name. I can adopt a child and it can be called Radford and be truly a Radford. So it is with the family of God. You can be adopted into God's family and take on Christ's name legally as one of God's family. Yes, you do not have it in the same sense as Christ has 
the, as part of God's name. He is the firstborn son and has a particular special place in God's family. But you can also be adopted into God's family and be called a child of God. You might say, oh, do I need to be adopted into God's family? Aren't I automatically part of God's family? Well, no, you do need to be adopted into God's family. Your true family is Satan's family. Jesus talks to the Jews and says, your father is the devil in John's gospel. And that is true about us. If we show by the way that we live what family we belong to, what characteristics of our father we take on, then it's quite clear we are born sinful creatures. And so we belong to the father of lies just as we tell lies. We belong to the family of Satan. And so we need to be adopted into God's family if we are to get into God's family and bear the name of Christ. So we need that. And when you become a Christian, you do take Christ's name and are called a Christian. The Bible talks about this again and again. It talks about this subject of adoption. Uh, the word adopt doesn't occur there in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 14, but in Paul's epistle to the Ephesians, he says he predestined us, that's God, to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. And then in other parts of the Bible, it talks about us bearing God's name. James quotes from Amos about taking God's name in Acts chapter 15. He says, that's James, uh, the brother of Jesus, not James, the brother of John. After this, I will return and rebuild David's fallen tent. Its ruins I will rebuild and I will restore it that the remnant of men may seek the Lord and all the Gentiles, that's you, who bear my name, says the Lord, who does these things. We bear God's name, even Gentiles, not just Jews. We Gentiles bear God's name. And then in 1 Peter 4, verse 16, a few verses down from what we're looking at today, it says there, however, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name, the name Christian. So you can be adopted into God's family. And it's a wonderful privilege. It means you have the legal rights as a child that is born into the family, not in the same sense that a firstborn son has legal rights in the family. Jesus has that special privilege. But it does mean that you get to call God Father. It does mean that God calls you son and daughter. And that's a wonderful privilege. Imagine that the God over all things actually sees you as his daughter or his Son actually calls you son or daughter. What an amazing privilege. So then the question is, how do you get adopted into God's family? Well, if somebody adopts somebody, they, of course, have to be the one that initiates the process. And so if you're to get adopted into God's family, who initiates that process? God the Father. You can't force an adoption yourself to be adopted into somebody else's family. They have to be willing and they have to initiate that process. But, of course, you should be willing as well. Now, little infants, of course, aren't so... Will, um, they don't, you don't ask them, do you want to be adopted? But as you get older, you have more and more of a say in the matter of whether you want to be adopted by somebody. And it's the same as you are when you become a Christian. God adopts you, he begins the process, but he does not bring you kicking and screaming into God's family. He works in accordance with your will. Everybody who becomes a true Christian willingly becomes a Christian. 
No one is forced into the kingdom of God. Yes, the spirit is irresistible when he starts working on your heart, but he works in accordance with your will. And you have a responsibility yourself to repent and believe that Jesus Christ died for you and to become a part of God's family. That responsibility of repentance and faith falls on you. God doesn't repent for you. God doesn't trust in Jesus Christ for you. You have to do that. You have to be a willing participant in being adopted into God's family. So it sounds pretty good. You can be adopted into God's family, and that sounds like a wonderful privilege. But then Peter starts to talk about something else that comes if you bear Christ's name. There's a sad fact that once you take on God's name, you will actually start to bear insults for having that name upon you. And that's what it says in verse 14 of 1 Peter 4. If you are insulted... Because of the name of Christ. You are insulted because of the name of Christ. You are blessed for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. And so my second main point this morning is the name of Christ brings insults. Certain names bring bad associations. And when you go into that family and you take on that name, you pick up all those associations. If you had the surname Hitler, what would you be associated with? you'd be associated with somebody else who bore the surname Hitler. And it's interesting, I got on the internet and did a bit of research in the country of Germany and how many people actually have the surname Hitler these days. Apparently soon after World War II, pretty much the entire population that had the surname Hitler changed it because they did not want to bear insults and persecution for having the surname Hitler, which brought all the associations of someone else who had that surname Hitler. And it's the same with being a Christian. When you take on Christ's name, you immediately are associated with Jesus Christ and all that he did here on earth and all that he has done since he left this earth through his people. And the sad thing is, is that people on this earth are not happy with Christ and therefore are not happy with the way and with people who take on God's name and are called Christians. When Christ was here on earth, he was not celebrated. He was persecuted. He was insulted and ultimately put to death. And so if you are adopted into God's name into God's family, then you are associated with shameful things in this world. The world looks at you and says what you do and who you are associated with is a shameful thing. We just have to take people's opinion about God and then see how much they hate him and then, of course, hate people in his family. Richard Dawkins, a very famous atheist who really has it in for God, gives his opinion about what he thinks of the God of the Old Testament. You want some insults? Uh, Here is Dawkins' Opinion of the God of the Old Testament, where he says he is arguably the most unpleasant character in all fiction, jealous and proud of it, a petty, unjust, unforgiving, control freak, a vindictive, bloodthirsty, ethnic cleanser, a misogynistic, homophobic, racist, infanticidal, genocidal, filicidal, pestilential bully. That's what he thinks of God. And all those insults also fall on the heads of Christians often as well. Just one like misogynistic. How often are Christians 
accused of hating women, of subjecting women, that Christianity is against women. Even child abuse is now being thrown around as something that Christians do. Richard Dawkins and his friends say that when we indoctrinate children from a young age about God, it is tantamount to child abuse. And they are all for taking children off Christian parents so that they can remove them from that abusive situation. That's an insult to be called a child abuser. brings up all kinds of horrible connotations. But that's the insults that they throw at Christians. Misogynistic, child abusers, homophobic, as though we hate homosexuals. When really what we're doing when we tell them that homosexuality is a sin, we're telling them the loving truth. We're trying to help them to understand how they are to live the best possible life, is to renounce sin and to be obedient to their creator. But of course we get slammed as being discriminatory and haters of homosexuals. And so when you take on the name of Christ, it will hurt. People will insult you. Verse 14 says that. If you are insulted, you will be insulted for being a Christian. If they insulted Jesus Christ, how can you expect any better treatment? If they insult the God of the Old Testament, if Dawkins says all those horrible things about God, surely he's not going to be afraid to say them about you. If he's happy to say them about God, then he'll be happy to say them about you. So why then would you willingly take on the name of Christ and be adopted into his family? If it brings suffering, if it brings insults, why would you do that? Well, that brings me to my third main point this morning. The name of Christ brings blessing. What does verse 14 say? If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed. For the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. You are blessed if you bear Christ's name and are insulted for it. How does that work? What does it mean to be blessed, firstly? Well, some people think being blessed just means happy, and some Bible translations often translate that word, happy. So when you have the Sermon on the Mount with the Beatitudes, uh, which um, are called Beatitudes because of the word bless, they turn them into happy. Happy are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom. So it's the Hattitudes. I guess you might call them instead of beatitudes, attitudes. But happiness is only really one aspect of what it means to be blessed. Yes, it is a joy to often be blessed. But what does it mean to be blessed? Well, it means to be shown favour. You see the blessings that are poured out on people by one person to another person in the Old Testament. It means to show favour. And then from God's perspective, we are favoured by him if we bear God, uh, Christ's name. And so we have his favour. Now, how does he show his favour? How does he show blessing to us when we're insulted? Whose favour do you have? How do you have that favour? Well, he tells us in verse 14. He tells us, firstly, that you are blessed for or because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. The spirit of glory rests on you. There may be worldly shame in being a Christian. It may be shameful in this world to bear the name of Christ. And people hear that you're a Christian and they go, Ooh, you're a Christian. But you have the spirit of glory on you. There is a heavenly glory 
in being a Christian. And that's a wonderful truth. The glory of the Holy Spirit is indeed an immense glory that is shown again and again in the pages of Scripture. It is a wonderful thing to have God's glory descend on us and remain with us. We see God's glory in different ways. We see it with the the cloud of glory that comes and fills the Old Testament temple. When Solomon has prayed, he's built this marvellous temple and he prays and this cloud of glory comes and no one can see anything. It's a marvellous thing. And then the, the glory of God, God's Holy Spirit, it comes on Moses. He goes and speaks with God and what happens? He comes and his face is shining to such an extent that they have to put a veil over his face. It says that in 2 Corinthians 3, the Israelites could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of its glory fading though it was. It's like looking at the sun. You just can't do it. It does your eyes in. And that's the glory that you have if you bear the name of Christ. You have God's Holy Spirit come and rest on you. God's Holy Spirit of glory. Then notice also how the Holy Spirit is described there in verse 14. It says, If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. He wants to emphasize that his glorious spirit, but he's also God's spirit. This isn't just any glory. This is God's spirit that comes and rests on you. This is a marvelous privilege as well, to know that God's Holy Spirit rests on you. That God rests on you. Resting, meaning stays, not leaving. We know in other parts of the Bible, once you bear the name of Christ, really and truly, you never lose it. You persevere through everything because God's Holy Spirit is on you, protecting you and helping you persevere through your life as a Christian. So then the question is, how can we? how is this possible? If this... Holy Spirit and Spirit of glory comes on us. How can we have that? Why is this possible? Well, it's because you bear the name of Christ. That's where the Holy Spirit comes from. It comes from Christ. It's an extended blessing of the Messiah to us. We see that it was predicted that the Holy Spirit would rest on Jesus as the Messiah. In Isaiah chapter 11, which we read earlier, Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1 says, A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots a branch will bear fruit. The Spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The Spirit of wisdom and of understanding. The Spirit of counsel and of power. The Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. Lots of more adjectives there about the Spirit in Isaiah chapter 11. And that's the Spirit that rested on Jesus and then is extended to us as part of Christ's family. The Christ has the Spirit of the Lord resting on him. It was prophesied in Isaiah 11. And then we also have the Spirit. We don't have it to the same extent that Jesus has it. It says in John's Gospel that he gives the Spirit without limit to the firstborn son. But we also have the Spirit of God on us. And that is a blessing. You may say, oh, well, what does it mean to have the Spirit of glory and of God rest on you? Well, it says there in verse 14, if you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed for the Spirit of glory and of God rests on you. That is indeed a blessing. It's a marvelous blessing to know that the Holy Spirit is given to you. It's the greatest of all gifts. Just the fact that God lives inside you right here and now What a privilege. God considers you his temple. He lives in you. What a blessing. 
And then what the Holy Spirit does in your life is incredible. When he comes into you, he regenerates you. He takes out a heart of stone and gives you a heart of flesh. He gives you the gifts of faith and repentance so that you can trust in Jesus, so that you can repent of your sin and believe that Jesus Christ died for you. And then he gives you gifts in which to serve him. And the strength to use those gifts. We spoke, we learned about those gifts back in earlier part of um, of 1 Peter chapter 4, where in verse 10 it said, Each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully ministering God's grace in its various forms. The reason you have gifts is because of God's grace. And then uh, halfway through verse 11, it talks about when we serve using those gifts, What do we serve? how do we serve? If anyone serves, he should do it with the strength God provides. How does God provide that strength? By his Holy Spirit working in your life. There really is no greater gift than the Holy Spirit that you can receive. No greater blessing. Because when the Spirit comes in, he applies that work of Christ at the cross, the great gift of the sacrifice of Jesus. It's useless to you if you do not have the Holy Spirit. If you do not have the Holy Spirit applying that fabulous gift of Jesus Christ in your life. There is no greater blessing than the Holy Spirit. And so then you say, okay, I want... To have the name of Christ, if that means I have the spirit of glory rest on me, if I have the spirit of God rest on me, I want that. And so I encourage you, if that is you, trust in Jesus Christ, repent of your sins, believe that Jesus Christ died for you. And then you may say, well, how do I know that I really do have the spirit of God in me, the spirit of glory in me? Well, one way is by suffering for God. And I emphasised that last week, but I also want to emphasise it this week because that's what is going on about in verse 14. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. When you are insulted for being a Christian, that helps show you are a Christian, that you are blessed, that you have the Holy Spirit in you. Because what happens when someone says, yes, I'm a Christian, And it's all very nice while they live in a Christian family, they live in a Christian community, and they have really no contact with anyone who's not a Christian. But then someone comes along and ridicules them, insults them for being a Christian. And what happens? They often will deny Christ. But if you are in that situation, maybe you grew up in a Christian home and had that experience, and you profess Christ, and someone comes along and insults you, and you stand that persecution... What does that say about you? It says that the Holy Spirit is working in you and helping you persevere. He's helping you stand firm in the faith as you should. Otherwise, you wouldn't. If the Holy Spirit wasn't in you, when people persecute you, you'll just fall right over. But if you affirm Christianity in the workplace... If you affirm Christianity in your family where everybody's non-Christian and you're the only Christian and they insult you a lot for it and you stay firm, what does that say about you? It says what it says here. You are blessed for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. So the question is, are you part of God's family and bear his name? Have you been adopted into God's family? Have you seen evidence of that adoption by your own personal repentance and faith, your own willingness to be a part of God's family? Do you get insulted for bearing Christ's name? If you don't, why is that? Is it because nobody knows that you bear Christ's name? You've never actually affirmed to anyone in your life that you are a Christian. 
Well, it's not surprising that you don't get insulted if no one knows that you're associated with Jesus Christ. Do you, if you do get insulted, then recognize that means you are blessed with the Holy Spirit of glory and of God. When insults come along, is that what you remember? As you stand firm, as people say horrible things about you, that you're misogynistic, that you're homophobic, that you're discriminatory, that you're abuser of children by teaching them about God? And you withstand all that? Does that encourage you that you have God's Holy Spirit on you? The Spirit of glory. You may have much shame in this world from the people of this world, but you're not shameful in God's eyes. In fact, you are glorified by him through Jesus Christ and his name. Let's speak with our God now. Heavenly Father, It is such a privilege that we can say those words, Heavenly Father, that we can call you Father and that you call us your sons and your daughters. Lord, we pray that everybody in this room is a son and daughter of you, Heavenly Father. And if not, O Lord, we entreat you this morning to adopt them into your family and let us see the results. Let us see them repenting of their sins and believing in Jesus Christ and then withstanding insults for being associated with your family. Lord, we pray for each of us that is a son and daughter of you. We pray that we may recognise what a privilege it is to be so and we pray that we may be encouraged when we are insulted because that means we really are a part of your family. That we are withstanding insults means that the Holy Spirit of glory and of God rests, remains in us. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.